Hey, this is Regan Bach, Managing Partner at Better Faster Further. And I wanted to take a second to welcome you to the Better Faster Further podcast. Whether this is your first episode or if you've been with us since the beginning, we're so thankful that you're here. We know that time is limited and we truly appreciate each and every one of you and want to thank you for listening. Hey everyone, this is Adam Odosky. I'm part of the core team at Better Faster Further and co-host of the podcast. With every episode, we'll feature inspiring stories from bright business minds, accomplished athletes, and inspiring leaders. We'll provide insights, tools, and takeaways to help you expand your capacity. We'll also take it a step further and really try to uncover the deep, hard to reach, and often unexplored places of the human experience. Things like overcoming obstacles, failure, facing fears, pushing through the hard stuff, and ultimately highlighting the growth, opportunity, and lessons learned that comes from choosing the path less traveled. As a serial entrepreneur and now executive coach, ultra endurance athlete, and health coach, I know these discussions are worth their weight in gold. Hey everyone, this is Regan Bach, managing partner and co-founder of Better Faster Further, here on another exciting day with my colleague, Adam Odosky. Adam, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Hey, good morning, Reg. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am uh, in Marin. We got some some rain the other day, which was just felt so good. It's been pretty hot out here, but uh, any ounce of moisture we get, we're thrilled for. It keeps us out of fire season, which we're, we're, we're in, but slowly getting out of. And... Um, here at the home office, recording another podcast with you. Super excited about uh, the conversation we're going to have today. I'm going to uh, pass it over to you, um, and folks will see why. But um, we are lucky enough uh, to have uh, Jeff Jones for a second time on the podcast. And he just ran a, a really big race along with Adam and a few other folks that we know. And the goal of today's conversation is just to, to debrief that race and, more importantly, kind of build parallels into life and leadership and work and teams um, and just really get a, a better sense of kind of Jeff's experience in that in that race as well as highlight potential ways he's going to apply it to life and, and business moving forward. But um, super excited to have him on the podcast. And Adam, I'll let you help set the stage, but uh, thank you so much and excited to have you both here. Right on. Thanks, Regan. Well, as you mentioned, we've got Jeff Jones back. And for some of you, uh, probably tuned in to hear Jeff on podcast number 11. And we'll link to that in the show notes for folks who want to get a more robust background on Jeff. But Jeff, first and foremost, is a friend, a a really good friend. We've known each other now for a year, but it feels like a lifetime. Uh, Jeff's going to give, you know, more of an uh, in-depth background on, on himself, his professional arc. But, you know, currently he holds the position of vice president of sales over the Americas for Orange Business. But what really matters here is that Jeff and I met a year ago in the Moab 240, just happenstance. We, you know, we go into detail in podcast number 11 of how that, that introduction came to be. But essentially, I met Jeff's runner. Jeff was pacing a friend of his. I met Jeff's runner and we shared quite a few miles together. And since that time, Jeff and I have gone on to spend time together in Cocodona 250, the Bigfoot 200, and now again at Moab 240. Uh, where we started the race together, Jeff, as a participant in the race and, and not a pacer, he is a, a full participant. And what a year it's been. It's, it's been a remarkable journey. And, you know, we've talked about everything from family to being fathers of daughters, you know, running across the mountains at, you know, almost 11,000 feet. And, you know, we've talked about cancer. We've talked about life. We've talked about needs and wants and desires and, you know, what's working and what's not and all the things. But it's, you know, the one thing I can say is that, you know, I'm a very, I feel very 
um, fortunate to have met Jeff and to have met Aaron and, and to call them both good friends and to have spent the time that we have spent together. And so with that, I'd like to turn it over to Jeff. Um, good morning, Jeff. How you doing? Hey, Adam. How are you? Good to see you, Reg. Good to see you as well. Yeah, doing well. Yeah, a little tired, Jeff. A little tired as you and I have been texting back and forth. There's a reason for that, uh, which I'm sure you'll share with everybody. But if you don't mind, just you know, kind of give give everybody an introduction of who you are and 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 sort of get things going. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Adam. Um, hi, everybody. So, um, just a little bit about myself. And so, um, recently joined Orange Business as as Adam had mentioned. I'm responsible for sales for the Americas, which includes North, Central, and South America. I've got a team of uh, about 55 to 60 people that report into me and then work with a number of different teams across the organization. Prior to getting involved with Orange, I had an opportunity to do a number of roles from consulting, from delivery to operations. And that spans um, probably the past 25 years across Accenture, Bearing Point, British Telecom, and DXE technology. Jeff, can you tell people what Orange does just for those that might be blissfully ignorant? Absolutely right. Right. So we've got we've got um, connectivity, right, or network operations around 200 countries across the globe. So when you think about network and you think about going to work, right, from a big multinational corporate perspective, we're connecting people around the globe, right. So wide area network, local area network, Wi-Fi, telephone solutions, uh, teams, etc. I mean, that's where we're focused. Um, we've got a number of strategic value propositions we're bringing to market. We're focused on four. And that's really helping drive the large multinationals. But we are probably one of the largest, if not the largest, network operators globally. You know, we compete with the likes of NTT, uh, Verizon, AT&T, British Telecom, et cetera. But, but as far as where my focus is right now, I mean, my focus is building the team at Orange Business. And, um, you know, a lot of that will come out, I think, Adam, in the conversations that we have, right, based on what we did with, with Moab, with Bigfoot, with uh, Cocodona, et cetera. So we're, we're here today. Jeff and I recently ran Moab 240 together, and this was Jeff's first 200-mile race as a, as a participant. And, you know, Jeff, I'm so curious. You and I, I mean, we, we spent all this time together in Moab for a week. I mean, 24 hours a day for a week straight. But then uh, you had finished the race uh, Wednesday morning at around 6 a.m. or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but I was driving home that day. So, you know, we met you at the finish line. We hung out. And then you went off for a shower and to get a nap. And that was when I had to take off. So you, this is the first time we've like officially come together to debrief. So the floor is yours. I am so curious to hear what that experience was like over, and, and listen to this folks, five nights because Destination Trails changed the start time. This was no longer, you know, for guys like Jeff and I, a four night race. This was a five night race. So holy cow, tell us, tell us your experience, Jeff. Yeah, it, it, it was a long time, right? And so one of the things, Adam, that you and I had an opportunity to do, and you're right, it was my first 200. And and I think the, the previous longest I had gone was about 140 miles, right? And so between uh, working with you and Shauna at Cocodona and then, you know, spending time with you at Bigfoot, um, for me, this was definitely the farthest. I remember early in the race, one of the things that you and I talked about, and for me was if I can get to 50% doing anything, right, whether it's a workout, whether it's a run, whether it's whatever, if I can get that past that 50% mark, I'd be good. Well, 50% is 120 miles, just about the furthest that I'd ever gone. And so for me, it was super important, the things that we were doing together, the team that we had in place, and just the focus and conversations that you and I had. 
But if you if you fast forward to the end, and then we can probably work back from there, that last night, right, going from Porcupine to the end, it was mind-numbing, right? I mean, going from a higher elevation to a lower elevation and doing it, you know, going through the desert, then along the Colorado River, as you know, having gone through it in the dark, I mean, there's no points of reference. You look at the desert, frankly, it all looks the same. By that time, um, I think you and I had actually slept about three and a half, maybe four hours over. For me, it took 113 hours to finish, right? So during that period, I mean, not a lot of sleep. And so when they talk about hallucinating in, in the long runs, I mean, hallucinations were super real. So starting really in day three through day four into the final night, there was hallucinations. Everything that my headlamp illuminated was a, uh, a shapeshifter, right? But for me, it wasn't it wasn't things that were startling or scary. It was all cartoon-like, right? So everything was animated to some degree. And whether it was trees, it was bushes, it was rocks, it didn't matter. It was just all kind of just moving around. You know, fortunately, I had an opportunity on that last segment to team up with a couple of people that, you know, we all stayed together. We worked as a team and we finished the race together. And I think we finished about two and a half hours ahead of cutoff. As far as when you and I saw each other, one, I was super excited to have everybody that was involved with the race from from you and Aaron and Ethan and Shauna and Robert and a whole lot of the volunteers that we saw along the way. You know, those folks were there. A lot of the medics that were taking care of us, keeping us, frankly, taped together as we ran uh, were there. But I was able to, I think, stick around the finish line for maybe 35, 40 minutes. I took a shower and um, my son's like, I think that was the longest shower you've ever taken. And I'm not sure if I fell asleep standing up, but I did go sleep and I slept for about three hours and I woke up and I was ready to go. And one of the things that I've found since then, right, and you and I have, we've exchanged text messages but haven't spoken, is that your body is, for me at least, was not able to just dive into deep sleep and sleep for a long period of time. It was in very short increments. And now it's getting back to normal after a week where I'm starting to sleep more from a normal perspective. But yeah, that last day with the hallucinations and the hallucinations were starting during the day. You know, I see a bulldozer, or I'd see an F-150 or I'd see a backhoe excavator. I get to it, big tree, big rock, big bush. And I'm like, and I told my wife, I said, I would have put our house on the fact that those things were absolutely there. And then they were gone. Jeff, I, I remember the uh, a year ago when Adam ran that race, I was watching some YouTube videos from, I think, the, 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 the race, the prior season. So that would have been two years ago with whoever the winner was or, or someone who had done quite well. And, and again, the one thing to remember, which is interesting, is like, how much time did it take for the winner to cross the line? Like, do, do we know? Yeah, in this race, it was a little over 70 hours. Okay. And how many hours did it take you? 116? 113. 113. So like, yeah. It's so, so the winners get to do it in obviously a lot less time, but like they're not as sleep deprived as, as somebody who's out on the trail for, for almost twice as long. But he was saying that he was running along the Colorado river and saw a whale, like, like, you know, emerge from the water. And he was like, it was real. And then he was like, thought about it. And he's like, wait, there aren't whales in rivers. Like that just doesn't work. And he's the same thing. He was like, I, I would have bet the house on the fact that that was like a real event that occurred. And then upon reflection, he's like, I'm crazy. That, of course I didn't. Well, I saw things like Lady and the Tramp, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Planet of the Apes. I mean, all of these things that you just see. And I don't know if it's pulling from childhood or what you've seen or why that would be. But everything was character, uh, like more cartoon-like. 
in nature. I, I will say that one of the things I told this to my son is that I saw a whole lot of rocks that look like Danny DeVito. And I don't know if it's because of all the Jersey Mike, com- all the commercials that they're running, but there were rocks and they were all smiling. I'm like, this is so weird, right? It's just so bizarre. That's awesome. Well, maybe if, if it gives you a chuckle along the way or just gets you thinking about anything, then your feet hurting. It's you're doing all right. The, the whole, the whole feet hurting. That's, that's definitely, um, that was a challenge. Yeah. Well, well, going back to the beginning, Jeff, I mean, typically this race has been run starting at 6 a.m. And, and this year they decided to start the race at 12 p.m. And they did it for an important reason, which was on day one, there's a very long section between aid stations that's in a very exposed part of the desert. And so for most of the pack, that section was run last year during the heat of the day. And people really had a challenging time there running out of water and blowing up and not being able to deal with the heat and so on and so forth. So they changed the start time so that most of the pack would be running that section at night, which we did. But I'd love to hear your your experiences, Jeff, sort of like day by day, peak moments, you know, low moments. I mean, it sounds like at least from the some of the talking uh, that you and I did during the race and maybe some of the text messages after that there were some moments there where you, you know, were, were questioning the race perhaps, or, or thinking about like, what are my options here? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'd love to hear like sort of that, that mental journey and physical journey that, that you, that you went through. I should have kept a tick box, right. As far as how many times I thought about, you know, could I, could I drop, could I do something different? Because for me, it was challenging and going back to going back to Bigfoot when you and I were out there, I think at mile 120, you know, we went into click attack and I said, I, I'm just, I'm done. Right. I'm just exhausted. And I was, I was, as your pacer, I was slowing you down. And so I said, I got to drop, you got to go. And you did a phenomenal job finishing that. So for me, kind of the same mindset, right. You know, when we got into Indian Creek, I was dragging, right. So that's about a day in, right. And, it was typically a sleep station. So previous race, it would have been at night. This was about 10 o'clock right before the solar eclipse was ready to start. We literally delayed down for a couple of minutes. Neither one of us could sleep. So we're like, okay, we got to go. And, you know, I think Aaron noticed that when I came in, I was kind of low, right? I was dragging. I mean, it was, we're what, 60 miles, 70 miles in at that point. It, it, it was a long way to go. And so we recovered, you know, Aaron, Ethan got us on our way and off we went um, with Ethan. So Ethan, my son, so for everybody, Ethan's my 25-year-old son. Um, it just finished the Chicago Triathlon at the end of August. So good shape. Um, he got engaged and was helping us. And all the way up to Bridger Jack, uh, we were doing really well. There was a couple of points where, you know, we were getting tired along the way. We needed to take a couple dirt naps, you know, five minutes here, 10 minutes there. And those helped. Right. But then we got up to Bridger and one, I knew we couldn't drop at Bridger Jack because it's in the middle of, no, frankly, in the middle of nowhere. Right. It's 45 minutes out in a rough ride in a in a truck. And then secondly, we wanted to do, you know, we had to head to Ash and we were everybody was around the fire. We were trying to get warm. Everybody was freezing because we'd been sweating all the way up there. Right. And so middle of the night, really tired, couldn't sleep. And our so our, our plan was. Yeah, you know, I think one of the one of the other runners said, you know, you can't sleep up here. It's it's not it's not going to be conducive to sleep. You just got to go get to the top of ash and sleep up there. We um we all bundled up and off we went. And from the time we left Bridger to the time we started climbing Shea, I had made the assumption, be having never done that section as a pacer before, that from the time you left Bridger to the time you got to the climb at Shea was much closer. 
we were just me it felt like we were meandering all over then we got into the um you know the dry riverbed and it was going and going and going it just it seemed a long long time and then by the time we got to the um to the climb you know we started to you know once we got on the right path yeah uh, started to make the the ascent we were good but that's where when Ethan got to the top, I mean, that was becoming really challenging. And I remember we got to, what was it called? The wall. Like when the sun was coming up, super steep, not really a trail, just a, just kind of a, a place just with a lot of rocks. Right. And I, I remember, you know, Aaron talked about, you know, the, the Moab rock company, you know, carefully places all these rocks specifically along the trail to make it challenging for you and the runners. So in fact, that was the case in, I remember we were going up that we were probably 50% of the way, but Ethan had said to me, we're almost there, dad. And I'm like, okay, great. And so we go up another section. And I remember you and Eric talking about the fall summit after fall summit after fall summit. And then I said, Ethan, you said we were almost there. And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're all kind of almost there. It was, it was getting, I mean, that climb was really challenging, right? That was really, really tough, but, um, but we made it, you know, Ethan, Ethan hung in there with us, did a great job. I think he ended up doing 40 plus miles in that section was, was awesome. But as far as the thought process that, that I was going through, it was highs and lows, but it wasn't highs and lows, like hours apart. It was highs and lows minutes apart. Right. You know, you're, you're tired, you're hungry, you're cold. Right. And then you go through and you're doing all of these different things along the way to make sure that you stay motivated. But at the end of the day, it was a team effort, right? It was you, me and Ethan, and, um, you know, we, we made our way to the top of that, of Shea, and then we ultimately took the roads back and, and got to where we needed to get to to hook up with Aaron. But, yeah, that was a long hike. And, and you and Aaron had prepared me for that mentally, so I knew it was going to be a challenge. What I didn't realize is that the LaSalle's was going, were going to be extremely difficult. To Monticello Lake was going to be extremely difficult, right? And one of the things that you and I talked about was climbing. I mean, I live in Chicago, so... The, what I'm typically used to seeing is very flat. At some point, I did 43 miles from our house out in the suburbs to where my son lives downtown. And I think the vertical change was 900 feet over 43 miles. And some of the things we did at, at Moab, right, that was a mile. And it's deceiving in the desert, too, because so, like the LaSalle's, I know intimately, and I, I literally used to go rock climbing there quite often. And um, But it is deceiving because you're kind of in that desert you know, arena, which depending on where you are at that moment is, is can be decently high in elevation just as it is. And then you get these, you know, these, these mountain ranges that, that don't seem as imposing as they are at times. Well, when you look at them from a distance, they're only a couple inches tall. Right. And so that was one of the jokes. I mean, yeah, it's all relative. Yeah. You know, the, the beauty and the curse of Moab, you know, the beauty of Moab is that you have these big expansive views and you can see all the way across the desert and you can see these mountain ranges off in the distance and it's absolutely gorgeous. And it allows, I mean, for me, it allows my mind to just, you know, dream and be creative and, and just, you know, be expansive. But the curse is that you look across the desert and you look at these mountain ranges that look, you know, a hundred miles in the distance, which, you know, in some instances they are. And you're like, shit, I have to go there you know, yeah, like we're at, th- that is on the course, you know, so that's, a, that's a whole nother mental challenge, you know, that, that you have to deal with in Moab. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that, that was one of the challenging things for us is when we went from dry Creek to road 46, right? Oh. Yeah. I mean, that, that we will, we'll come on to that, but as far as just the temperature fluctuation, right. So everybody understands that it hasn't been to Moab this time of the year. 
I think we had probably lows in the high teens and then um, high, or highs in the, probably the, the high 80s or low 90s. But it was 100% sun. There was not a cloud to see in the sky. And so you were just baking on this red sandy dirt, right, as we as we traversed through the desert. So it was that was something that I wasn't um, – I don't know if I wasn't expecting it. I mean, I knew it could be warm, but not that type of just blazing sun, right? I mean, it was just unrelenting. Yeah, and most places fluctuate 20 degrees, like, or, you know, day to night. Like, you're talking huge swings in temperature. And if you're at the – top of the LaSalle's at night versus, you know, on the, on the desert floor during the middle of the day or something, just drastic changes. Which is challenging for, 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 for people to understand because you have to carry the appropriate amount of gear. And so, it, you know, you, your, your pack, your running vest is, is pretty jam full. I mean, you've got big sections in between aid stations, you know, sometimes 20 plus miles in between aid stations and you have to have enough calories to get you through. Then you've got the gear for big temperature swings and then you've got the gear for the just in case, right? And you've got your emergency bivy to try to take a trail nap. I mean, so it's, you, you know, you're, you're ru- quote unquote running. And in some instances we were running and moving well, but you've got, you know, quite a lot of stuff packed into quite a small running vest on your back. And so it becomes a, a it becomes a sort of a puzzle, like a jigsaw puzzle, trying to figure out what exactly you need and how to fit it. Um, so it's comfortable. Yeah. And, and just to build on that, right. So one of the things after we were headed back out of one of the things that Aaron and I were talking about is the gear that he recommended and the gear that I purchased, you need pants, you need a puffy, you need this and you need that. And so some of the things that he had recommended were a bit more expensive and I went maybe a bit less expensive, a bit less expensive means in some cases, not as good, a bit more bulky. And when you think about it in your everyday life, it's like, who cares, right? It doesn't really matter. Out there, it matters, right? It makes a huge difference to your point as far as the pack and the way you've got to carry. Because, it, you know, between 18 and 20 miles, you're carrying a fair amount of water, which is a lot of weight, and then all of your gear and your nutrition, right? And it made a big difference. Made a big difference. I was listening to a podcast with these gentlemen who happen to be endurance runners, but also like big bow hunters. And they talk about like, there, there's extremes on both ends, but you have to bring a lot of gear to go you know, pack for three days to go bow hunting and stuff, but people would take a toothbrush and like file half the handle off, you know, just like literally they're like incrementally taking all that weight away. Anywhere you can save a little bit of weight over time makes a big difference. And again, if you're, if you're running and trying to like, you know, meet cutoff times, maybe even more important to do so. so. Yeah. So, so there we were, we were at the top of Shea mountain. We laid down again. I was unable to sleep again. Uh, Jeff, you, I think got a little bit of sleep there. We did some foot care, and then we started off from Shea Mountain onto that new section. So Moab, in addition, or Destination Trails, in addition to making the change for uh, a 12 p.m. start this year, they also added another section that was, I think they added 13 or 15 miles to the course. And this section, I think we all agree, or at least at the time, was probably our favorite section. I mean, it was gorgeous. It was this high mountain climb, you know, almost up above treeline, you know, big expansive views across the mountains and down into the desert. I mean, it was a beautiful section, but last year when we left Shea mountain, you know, there's a mental shift there because Shea mountain was the halfway point, And then you, you immediately descend and cross the desert and you're working your way to the LaSalle's. I mean, you can almost like start to visualize yourself at that point, crossing the finish line. Well, here we are like, well, we need to do another mountain section first before we then start to cross the desert. And so you know, I think at that stage, that was another sort of um, 
at least for me, mental challenge, although that section was amazing. It was like, I think I even mentioned it to you, Jeff, and probably to Aaron that I, I really just want to head across the desert right now. Like I'm ready. I'm, a, I'm so tired. I just want to start making that move across the desert towards the LaSalle's, but we, we did that other mountain section. No, I, one, it was gorgeous. And it was, it was interesting. You talked about high mountain and I, I described this to, to my wife, right? So it's, it's, it was high mountain, clear, high mountain, thick pines, right? And so we came across a couple of the streams that were frozen solid. There was some snow up there and, you know, in the sun, it was probably in the fifties and in the forest, it was probably in the thirties and it swung around. Just by the time you're getting cold, you'd come out in the sun. It was, it was absolutely gorgeous. We'd also picked up another runner up with us at that time or from the previous night, Zach, who had, had joined us. And so from a, from a climbing perspective, it was, it was the four of us. So it was Zach, Adam, Aaron, and myself. And, you know, we were looking at what the leaders had done that section. And then the leader, the, the leader that went through there the fastest was about four hours. And so we were thinking for us, it was going to probably be five and a half, six hours. And we actually, I think, did it, Adam, in what, 445? Something like that. Yeah, pretty quick. We, we cranked through that, which was really good. And, and it was a whole lot of climbing. And it was fairly high. I think we got to 10.5 or 10.4. But, um, but that, was a, that was a great experience. But along that way, it shifted to where, you know, Adam, you mentioned some of the things that we talked about. You know, we were, we were all fathers of daughters, right? So that was where that really came into to conversation. And, and I've got um, the oldest daughters with um, Tegan is 22 and Avery is 21. And Zach's probably got the youngest daughter. I think she's six months or nine months. And with Ella at five and then, you know, Aaron's four and somewhere in between. I mean, he's got a pretty good range. But, you know, our ability to just talk about different life experiences as we're just moving through the mountains was really cool. And, and we talked about it at the time that it was actually pretty special that the four of us had come together and we were able to have these conversations. Yeah, I was, you know, almost wondering, you know, I wonder what people think you know, conversations are like, or what, you know, runners are like who take on these big challenges, you know, you know, but I, it was just nice to be up there and, you know, we're, we're trying to get after it here. You know, we're 120 miles ish or so into this race, you know, we're in a pretty extreme environment and we're sitting there talking about what it's like to be dads of daughters. I mean, it was so, it was really cool. It was a, a really special moment, but then from there, um, you know, we came into Monticello Lake and we, we refueled and I don't think we rested there. I think we just kept moving. Yeah. On the dry Valley. And that was a, that was another long section about 18 miles or so. And this, this for me, it was the point in the race where I realized that, you know, the, the sleep deprivation has, is really starting to take its toll. I had developed a rash, which was crazy on my legs. And I thought I got sunburn and it's, you know, I got really badly sunburned, but it's, it turns out that's not what it was. But my my legs look like a topographical map and they're bright red and burning and it was just really uncomfortable. And as we were making our way across the desert there, like we, st- we started in Monticello Lake, you know, it was just after dark perhaps and, you know, felt good there. But as we got deeper into that section, I started to realize like, wow, I am tired. And I'm like, Jeff, I need to sleep. <laughs> um, I need to, I need to try to take a trail nap or, or something, you know, on this section because it's, it's the, the sleep deprivation is real. And, and we did that. Um, we found a, you know, a space that, you know, a little spot in the trees that looked pretty good with, you know, wasn't sand and wasn't dirt. There was some, you know, pine needles on the ground or what have you. And we laid down for 45 minutes. I, you know, I doubt that he, that Jeff or I, I mean, it was really cold and, um, 
yeah, I doubt that either one of us really slept, but we laid there for 45 minutes and just, you know, you're kind of twisting and turning because at that stage in the race, you're, you know, the, the ache in your feet and your knees and, you know, your lower extremities is, is real. And when you stop moving, it's, there was one point where both of us had this experience, Regan, where our feet were throbbing so bad. It was actually like moving the blankets that were covering us. Wow. You can see them pulsing in the blanket. <laughs> it's insane. So as you can imagine, like laying down in the woods in the middle of nowhere and trying, you know, in this tiny like emergency bivy that it looks like you're wrapping yourself in tinfoil. It's not like you're laying down for a good sleep and you know, it's, it's, um, it's quite uncomfortable. Uh, but we did that for, I don't know, 30 or 45 minutes or something like that. And, um, which, which was enough to get us to the next aid station. But for me at that stage of the race, that's where it started to really sink in. Like, you know, I've, I've kind of got myself into a deficit here and it's going to be a real challenge to, to pull my way out. Um, and my body's starting to like react to the sleep deprivation, I think, but, but Jeff was going strong. You were, you were sort of carrying us from a mental perspective, Jeff. I, I think you were like sort of you took that weight and, and kept us moving forward. You know, for some reason, and, and similar to the conversations, Adam, that you and I had on the, the back of the Bigfoot 200, right? You just felt good. And I mean, for me, it was just in a point where I was feeling good. And, um, you know, I was able to motor along. And, and again, you know, just based on getting propped up by, by Aaron and Ethan, right? You know, as, as far as from a crew perspective and Monticello Lake and, at the top of Shea, I mean, just giving us the right things to keep going and just, we were 100% focused on here's the mission. Right. And so, you know, you and I had tons of conversations about a whole lot of different things. And then, you know, we'd be talking and chatty and, and again, Zach was still with us at that point. So we were to have a lot of conversation and then we'd be, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, no conversation. We're just focused on going. Right. And so getting through that, I, I think from a, from a mental perspective, you know, as you mentioned earlier in the, in the conversation, it just ebbs and flows, right? You don't want it to ebb and flow too far either one way or the other. But I, I think we did as, as, a, as a group, right, as a, as a small team going through the desert there. It was, um, it was definitely focused and uh, we had a good time getting through. But yeah, I mean, from a tired perspective, yeah, we were all getting very tired and our feet, our feet were throbbing. Thanks for being here, everyone. At Better, Faster, Further, we specialize in helping leaders, teams, and organizations maximize peak performance. Our goal as a business is to help build organizations that execute effectively, to create high-performing teams, and to help leaders bolster their overall capacity. We're unique and we're different. Our real world in the trenches experience comes from building and scaling teams and companies of all sizes. When you partner with Better, Faster, Further, you're not going to get a recent MBA graduate. What you will get is a team with decades of experience coming from industry veterans, academics, and leaders who have been in the most critical roles of startups, growing companies, and enterprise titans. Not only do we make recommendations, but we roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty right next to you. We truly believe that organizations are at the epicenter of social change. And by creating positive shifts within those organizations, we create ripple effects that have profound and lasting impacts on communities and society at large. If you want to become a more effective leader, if you want to create a high-performing team, or if you need to scale your company in ways that will stand the test of time, then Better, Faster, Further is for you. Visit our website at betterfasterfurther.com or email us directly at bff at betterfasterfurther.com. Thanks for your time. Now let's get back to our discussion. 
you know, it's important, as you mentioned, Jeff, like it takes a team. And, you know, we had a really strong team. There, there was you and I as the, the, the runners. Then there was your son, Ethan, as a pacer and, and crew. And, um, and then there was Aaron as, as crew and a pacer. And what's interesting is everybody sort of had a, a clearly defined role on what they were supposed to execute physically. You know, like the pacer knew what they were supposed to do when they were pacing, you know, navigate and, you know, shoot for this time and pace and what have you. And the crew knew like, hey, they need restocked on nutrition and make sure they get foot care, whatever. But I think what's really interesting there is that the mental roles and responsibilities shifted and they shifted because we have, we've all spent time together in these environments and Ethan, you know, adapted very quickly. That mental responsibility of, of um, sort of carrying the torch shifted organically amongst different people. I tried to step back and observe that during the moment because it was really interesting to me, especially as the work we do with teams in business. The leader of the team isn't always doing what people might think a leader is doing. The leader of the team may just be the person that is smiling and continuing to move forward or saying, you've got this or asking for help or whatever the case may be. It was a really cool experience for me to be part of this, this team of people that was so effectively and organically just letting that responsibility fall to whomever was willing and able to carry it at the time. I agree. I I think when you look at that and you talk about leaders and you talk about followers and you talk about a team, right? So as we went through, and I was smiling here while you were saying that, because when we went into a Masabak, you remember Ethan was there, he had his iPhone out, right? He's going, he's got the menu from the aid station asking us what we wanted. And and I think Aaron had us on the clock and we were in and out of there in 10 minutes, right? But he was very deliberate about this is what you've got your choices. You know, this is what we're doing. We get your change, get you filled, get you going. And they were fairly militant about it, but um, that's what we needed at the time. And then throughout the course of the, the next few days, you know, the ability. So for me as a runner, right, the ability to just come into an aid station and listen, right, especially when we had the crew there to follow direction you know, this is how I'm here to help you. These are your choices. And and that was very good opposed to me trying to dictate what I needed or where I needed to go or what I, I mean, they were very clear about, you know, here's how we're going to make you help make you successful. You've got to be willing to allow yourself to, to, to do that. And, um, you know, I, I think for the most part we did and, um, they were phenomenal. They got our watches charged, their phones charged, our headlamps, you know, the batteries switched out. I mean, it was very, very efficient the way that they were uh, managing us. It's hard to be decisive when you're seeing Disney characters like floating in the trees and stuff as well. They're like, what do you want to do next? You're like, I have no idea. Yeah. But in fairness, you know, for, for, you know, personalities perhaps like ours and and probably perhaps like most leaders in any kind of situation, whether it be a sports team or a business team, it's probably easier to be decisive, to take the sort of quote unquote standard leadership role than it is to sort of let other people Yes, you know, step back and let other people do it. But I think we did that really well and, you know, paid dividends because, you know, Jeff, Jeff crossed that finish line. And I think that was, you know, it was amazing. Yeah. So that was, that was us through what, through dry to road 46. To, to the needles. We got to the needles and then there was that quick turnaround time in the needles and in my first demise. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you want to talk about that? Because that was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we can. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the uh, you know the the near death experience physically, and uh, not not really, but I, I had a, a, a blowout, uh, physical blowout, and, and certainly the death of an ego, you know, in between this section from the needles to to road forty six, and um, 
you know, it was, I just got to a place where I think the sleep deprivation and, and this rash on my legs was just at, at a point where it was nearly unbearable. And I told Jeff and Zach, like, guys, I got to stop. I need to get in the shade. I need to rest. I'm like, I am done. We got there and, you know, we spent, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes or whatever. And, and those guys were trying to figure out how they could help help me. And, it, you know, at, at that stage, I, you know, I, I thought the nail might've been in the coffin and just said, look, you got to leave without me because I'm going to slow your race down. And, you know, my, my focus for this race, you know, Jeff was really, I wanted to see you cross the finish line more than anything else. I was just, you know, so excited for you. And uh, I knew at that point that I was more of a liability than, than an asset to you and, and to our, our small team. And so it was just, you know, a matter of like saying, guys, you got to leave me here, you know, go do your thing. And that was a hard decision. And, and, you know, we, we had the medic there and the medic was talking to us and it wasn't funny, but it was kind of funny at the time. Right. Zach's an attorney and Zach's like, no, 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 we don't want, want help. We want verbal help. Right. We want to distinguish between one or the other. And is it okay to have verbal help versus physical help? And the medic said, yes. And so we got some, we got some coaching, but at the end of the day, the medic said, you know, let Adam stay here. You guys go on your way. I'll check back on you in 30 minutes. And he went off to do what he needed to do. And we left you in the shade and we, we kept going while we were there though. I called Aaron to say, Hey, just as an FYI, you know, depending on where we're at or, or what Adam needs, you, you guys might need to come out to the desert to pick him up. And it was one of the few areas that we actually had cell signal and it was actually pretty good. Right. So I was able to have a conversation. So he and Ethan were ready to go if they needed to go. But, um, so we left you there and, you know, you were cooling down, we were headed out and it was blazing. Right. And yeah, sunburn, rash and just different things that you were dealing with. So we're, Regan, we're probably about two hours down the trail. Right. So we're getting close to where we can see the road where you cross to go to road 46, the next aid station. And all of a sudden I hear this running and then I look next to me and it's Adam. And I'm like, I look at Zach, I'm like, am I hallucinating or is Adam standing next to me? And Adam was standing next to me. So, you know, lo and behold, lightning in a bottle, Adam got a hold of a Coca-Cola and um, was caught up to us. Right. And so we're like, I mean, we couldn't be happier. Right. So we're good. Adam's good and good spirits. And we continue on our way to road 46. I just remember as we walked into there, you know, Aaron's like, like he's seeing a ghost as well. It's like, how is, how is Adam here? I thought you said he was done, but yeah, I mean, as far as your ability to rebound and, and stay as part of the team through road 46 and then up into the LaSalle's was, was, was awesome. Right. I mean, super important for what we are trying to do. And, you know, Adam, as you mentioned to help me finish, I mean, one of the, one of the big reasons I finished is because of, of what you did and, and all the conversations that we had and frankly, all the pre-work that we did, you know, at the end of Cocodona and then in through the Bigfoot. Yeah. I mean, I think at that stage, I, deep down, I think I knew my race was over. I think the damage had been done and, and then running that whatever distance to catch up to you guys, you know, sort of solidified that because I, I used every bit of what I had left to do it. And Regan, I looked like, you know, Sanford and son, you know, coming across the desert. I had this jacket tied around my waist in the front, this long sleeve shirt tied around my waist in the back. It was like a homemade kilt to try to protect my legs from the sun. It was because of this rash was so painful, you know, just, I must've been a hilarious sight, but I wanted to get there and get to you guys and, and just one last time say, Jeff, you can do this, you know, basically, and, you know, go until I could not go any farther because, you know, I was hoping that that in some weird way would give you some, some energy, you know, some meaning, some purpose, you know, maybe a little extra boost to get to the finish line. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it absolutely did. And then, you know, coming in, getting, you know, 
reset, you know, retaped. And, and the fact that you went from road 46 up to pole was, was huge. And I could, I mean, I could tell, and we talked about it on the way up, right. I mean, you were obviously hurting and, you know, one of the things that, you know, for, for the listeners that may not know is, is Adam is a phenomenal climber. And so when I was dying at, at the, um, at the Bigfoot 200, right. With all of the climbing and just relentless climbs, Adam just, even after snapping a pole, just kept motoring up, motoring up, motoring up. So as far as just the motor that you've got to keep going and then to see that kind of diminished right on that climb to the LaSalle's. Yeah. We, we knew that that was going to be a good place for you to, um, to hang it up with Sean and Robert up at, um, at, um, can at the, um, pole Canyon. We were, uh, sorry, Adam, we were watching from, from afar, obviously online and stuff. And I, Logged in that morning, I think. I, I don't know which day it was. I lose kind of track, but it was maybe one mile 186 or something. Is that right, Adam? Uh, Pole Canyon, yeah, somewhere around there. Yep. Yeah, and it, and I looked up and it was, it, it, you know, it said like DNF. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I've never seen that next to Adam's name. And I'm like, the wheels must have completely come off the bus because I've seen him like flirt with that line multiple times and always always get through. And then we, we chatted either later that day or something. And, and he gave me a brief text message or, you know, I knew he was alive and safe and, uh, but, but said that, that you had kept going and, and he had, he had decided to, to pull out. And then we, we chatted on your, um, that day or on your drive home, but he was just saying like, it was, it was cool to hear Adam that you, that was like, even though you didn't finish the race and had to pull out that that was like your proudest moment running a 200. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it's like, you know, people have said to me since like, I'm sorry, you've, you, you failed this one. And I'm like, what failure, you know, like, what, what are you talking about? You know, this, this to me is a total win. You, you know, Jeff finished, we, we put in 185 miles together. We went through ups and downs and, you know, I left it all out on the trail and it just, that was, I mean, could I have continued and maybe finished? I don't know, maybe, but the mo that moment in time, that was the best decision to make, and I still stand by it. So to me, that's a total success. It wasn't a decision that said you've got to finish for you know to be a complete person. In in fact, you know it was more along the lines of you know I'm a liability here to to my team and and probably to the destination trail safety crew if I try to make it across the LaSalle's in the condition I'm in. So it's time to time to pull it. And, you know, we tried to sleep again at road 46 and I was unable to sleep again. And I knew at that stage, like, okay, now, now the nail is definitely in the coffin. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to eat a burger and I'm going to, you know, let Aaron talk me into trying to get to pole Canyon. It's going to be ugly, but we're going to do that. And, and, uh, you know, halfway up, I, you know, Aaron and I had a conversation. I said, I, I think I'm done and I'm, I'm good with it. Well, and, and you and Aaron were and, and Zach and I were, we were up ahead of you guys in the conversations, you know, talking about family and talking about our wives and talking about our kids. I mean, Aaron was talking probably more than I've, than I've heard him talk in a long time, right? Just keeping you engaged in the conversation and, and the, in the, in the run. But we knew right at the, by the time we got up there and, and for me, it felt like to me, it was like that one last push I needed because as we talked about, I said, if we can get to pole, we got this thing, Right. And we, I knew that the next two to Geyser and then to Porcupine and the end was going to be challenging, but I figured if we got to pole, right. And we were in a good spot, we would be good to go. And then, you, you know, you decided to stay with Shauna and Robert and then we tried to sleep a little bit, but couldn't sleep there either. Right. It's really hard in this in, you know, whether it's, it was a sleep station or not, just, it's uncomfortable. It's cold. It's just, it's much easier just to crash on the side of the trail for five minutes. And I, and I tell people here, you know, a number of people 
um, at Orange have talked to me about the race. Like I start the calls and people are interested and want to hear a little bit about it. And, you know, they're like, where did you sleep? And did you have a tent? Did you have a, you know, a, a cabin? And I'm like, no, none of that. Right. And honestly, you know, some of the things that we did after leaving pole was, was really good. And I think we'll come on to that, right. As far as just sleeping, but it was tough sleeping in the sleep station. So getting out of there was really important. So we motored out of there and um, I, I know you stuck, you stuck there and I, I would, I couldn't tell you how excited I was to see you when I pulled into geyser with Aaron after frankly, Aaron tortured me for like the last three or four miles going into there to see you and Ethan. It was so nice to have you guys, your smiling faces there and um, you know, getting ready to do, do the last two pieces. I talked with Adam when you were on the way and I was surprised too. I'm like, I, you know, he, he had, pulled out and then he was like i'm in the truck getting ready to drive to go wherever the next aid station was to meet you and i was like that's so cool and he his his whole mindset was around like getting you styled at that next stop i i it, it just says a lot about adam's character you know totally agree and i walked in there regan and, and with adam and ethan i mean they had me dialed in they had me you know they took all my stuff they had me lay down for i don't know 20 or 30 minutes by the time i got up my pack was ready to go I was pointed in the right direction and I was pushed on my way and, you know, it couldn't have been more efficient and it was, it was so much appreciated. Yeah. I mean, just watching you at, at pole, you know, Jeff, I, you know, we're, we're sitting there kind of eating some food and at these aid stations, Regan, they have, you know, at, at night they have a little fire going and some chair camp chairs and you sit down and, you know, you get some hot food and I was looking at Jeff and, you know, we had already known I, we had already knew I made the decision to stay at pole and I was looking at Jeff and Jeff was like falling asleep in the chair and he's got big bags under his eyes. I mean, he looks like he's been through a battle, right? And he has been through a battle, but he was, he was like getting ready to go and like, do I have this? Do I have that? And I'm like, this guy's going to freaking make it. You know, he, I'm like, Jeff has got this in the back. There's no doubt. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty, but he's going to make it. He's like, you just had that look in your eye, Jeff, through, through the bags, you know, and the, the squishy eyes, I could see it, you know, that sort of like glimmer of I'm going to make this thing. And that's what you want to see. And it was really special at that moment because it, this was not a comfortable place to be. And, and, uh, it was just neat to see you so committed and, and ready to do the next at that stage. I mean, you still had 50 miles, you know, or 60 miles, whatever it was, you know, it was not a short distance. Well, and that's where I was positioning, Regan. One of the things I was asking for in the aid station was warm Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody thought it was so funny that somebody would want warm Coca-Cola. Well, I didn't want ice cold Coca-Cola because it was ice cold up there. So I wanted something warm. And they're like, how about some coffee? And I'm like, no, how about some warm Coca-Cola? And it was just, it was kind of a funny instance right before we started to go. But after we decided to go, you know, myself, Zach and Aaron, we headed out and, um, and we were making pretty good time through the mountains until we weren't right. We got to a point where we were starting to weave a little bit. You know, we talk about trail naps and I said to Aaron, I said, I just need to close my eyes for a couple of minutes. And this was, I think the only time that he actually let me sleep a little bit between Pole Canyon and Geyser. But I laid down, uh, set my, set my timer for five minutes. I laid down, I was probably asleep in a minute. I woke up at the five minute mark. So I had like three or four minutes of sleep. And then from that point, I was like the Energizer Bunny for the next six hours. I mean, it was it was amazing. I don't know where the energy came from. You know, un unfortunately, Zach didn't didn't rebound right, and so we got separated. And you know, we had to keep going right based on where we were from a clock perspective and managing our time and where we needed to be on the course. 
Aaron and I kept motoring through and, you know, eventually got to Geyser. Got there a little bit later than we expected. But those last three, four miles of us going into Geyser, I had Aaron with me. Aaron's a phenomenal athlete, and I've known Aaron for the better part of 20-plus years. Um, he's kind of the reason I got into all of the you know different endurance, triathlons, marathons, half marathons. But he kept me on pace, right? He kept me going. And I'm like, I need a break. He's like, you don't deserve a break. Keep going, right? <laughs> Sound familiar, Jeff? Because I think you did that to me in Cocodona. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did at night. And I asked and I asked and he said no. And then we finally came up to a ridge where we we're going to go down. And I'm like, I need. And he's like, no. And I just sat down. He's like, you can't sit down. And so I was like 20 seconds sat and then I'm up and then we're going. But he he was right there keeping me on pace, keeping me going. But that's what, you know, Adam was saying. I mean, it's all for me, it was all about the team and different roles that people played throughout the race. And it was it was Adam. It was Aaron. It was Ethan. It was, you know, just. It was Zach, it was Shauna, it was Robert, it was the volunteers. I mean, it was, it was a phenomenal effort. And, um, you know, I'm really thankful for everybody that um, had an opportunity to play a role in that. And, and really what Adam was able to do, you know, with me in that space was fantastic. He and I had a blast at Cocodona and we had a, we had a good time at, at Bigfoot. Sometimes we're better than others. I mean, that was a brutal course, as you know. Right. And, and I heard the debrief from Adam on that previous one of the previous podcasts. That was tough. And he just did a, a phenomenal job climbing. Oh, that's so cool. And in, in hearing you talk about just the, you know, the role that the team played and, and the different roles that that people played along the way, it's it reminds me of just sometimes, you know, not in a cheesy way, I hope, but like when people hire a, like a coach in business, at least sometimes those coaches need to be a good listener right? Sometimes you need to be a cheerleader. You need to be like, Jeff, you can do this. I believe in you. And then sometimes a good coach just needs to be a kick in the ass, right? Like Aaron saying, no, you don't deserve a nap yet. No, you can't. I'm not going to let you off the hook yet. And and like to know when to push and when to pull back and when to be soft and when to be hard is is a, is an art to the science of doing that. And it, it's so cool. And And really that's whether it's in sports or, or, or in business, like that's really what a high performing team is, is people know what roles to play and when to play it. And they can, they can, they can, they're going to skate to where the puck is going and, and, and be there with the right timing. And there are ways to get there. And there's things that people and teams can do to help mature that, that ability. But, but it's awesome when it does happen with some level of like organicness to it. And, and that's, it sounds like that's what happened with you guys on this run. It's awesome. It, it definitely did. And, and I think one of the other things that I would add to that Regan, as far as saying, knowing when to ask for and accept help. And making sure that, you know, you keep your mind open to what is possible. And, you know, for me, I had, I had helped throughout the entire race and whether it was a conversation, whether it was, you know, Hey, this, this is the nutrition you should be taking. These are the things you need to be thinking about. These are the things you need to be aware of to the group that I was with on the last section, right. From, from porcupine to the end, I could have tried to do that section by myself. If I would have tried to do that section by myself, I still might be out there today. So the fact that I was able to team up with with three other folks was was really good. We had good conversations, but we also kept pace. And Aaron and her pacer, right, as far as kind of watching the clock and saying, this is what we need to do. When I had done that section previously with Aaron and, and um, Adam last year as a pacer during the day, it was, in my mind, much different, right? We, we were able to move much faster. And I know, Adam, we were talking with Aaron, you know, you can do this section in six hours. I think that night it took us just about nine, 
at night it was just one it was hard to navigate two it was extremely challenging on the feet yeah i mean it was just to that point right it, it, it took a little bit longer than expected but but you know going back to what i the point i was making regan as far as understanding when you need help and, and looking for it right fortunately you know aaron and michael and um you know aaron's pacer you know said hey yeah come with us and you know we kind of walked into porcupine together we walked out of porcupine together and we finished um, within a couple of minutes of each other, which was was awesome. Jeff, what was it like for you when, when you know, so for the listeners, as you come down Porcupine, the last three miles of the race or when the Porcupine Trail meets this paved bike path that follows the river. And at that stage, you, you come off the, you come off the trail, you're out of, the, you know, you're out of the, the thick of it, right? And you've got three miles left to go to the finish line. And it's basically flat, if not, you know, very lightly rolly on a paved bike path. So you, you know, you're finishing. And I'm, I'm just curious at that moment, you know, like, what was it like for you there emotionally? What was it like for you there mentally, physically, spiritually? Well, I mean, who was Jeff at that time? To say the race was challenging mentally, physically, emotionally would be an understatement, right? And so, I had a whole bunch of things playing through my mind. Yeah, I mean, as far as watching the clock, I, I knew I was going to finish. You know, so for me, I was, I was, I was super proud, super happy. Right, as far as just just being able to be in that position. You know, for me, as far as the the past two plus years, I remember when when you and Aaron finished the year before. Right, we were we were in that same pl- place, and we were getting closer to the finish line. Or actually, we were a little bit further out because you, I think you actually ran the last bit. Aaron and I hiked the last bit, but um, I remember saying to you guys, I am never doing this, right? So, you know, just so we're clear, I am never doing this. And the fact that I was now in that same spot where I was doing it and I was doing it successfully for me was really, really rewarding, right? You know, one of the things that I had also done along the way was, um, you know, Adam, I, you and I talked about this was uh, for the Ronald McDonald's Children's Charity. You know, I, I put something out there as it relates to my run to, you know, give some visibility to that organization, raise a little bit of money, which we were able to do. So, you know, thank you to all the people from a donation perspective. So just all of the aspects that came together, I was super proud for me. One of the things as far as I thought about the last day was because I'd made it so far and we worked so hard, the fear of not getting there was really, was really strong the second to last day. But as we started climbing the LaSalle's and I'm keeping an eye on the clock, I'm like, I got this, right? I can do this, right? Well, further, far enough along that, you know, my feet hurt really bad, but they're not broken. My knees are sore. They're not broken, right? We can continue to go through. So for me, it was just, it was really rewarding. It's super fulfilling. Um, if I ever do it again, you know, that would be awesome. If I never do it again, what a phenomenal experience. So that, that last three miles was wild. The hallucinations were going crazy, Right. I think I think I came across the finish line and was talking about pink people coming out of flowers. And it was just, you know, some of the things along the river where it was like the mist had a little bit of frost on it, which I mean the headlight would illuminate and just it, it was it was it was super cool. I didn't see any whales because I couldn't see the water, but if I could see the water, I probably would have seen the whales. I think they, they sleep at night or something <laughs> under the water. But man, was it um it was just it was so rewarding. And then when you're going up as right as you get into towards the finish line, you're coming down the ramp and around the corner. I mean, it's so cool. And the fact that I turned the corner and I saw all you guys there, I mean, it just, for me, just made it super special because, you know, back to the points that we've been making through this, this conversation, it's, it's all about the team and it's all of you that made me successful. Right. 
yeah, I mean, I was out there and trudging along, but without the support from, from everybody that was involved, there's no way I would have been able to do that. Yeah. So you did it, Jeff. I mean, hats off to you. It is such an accomplishment. I mean, it's, it's a transformative journey. I think these two hundreds and, um, it's life-changing. It, it truly is. I mean, I think you, you live a year or you live five years spiritually, in my opinion, in the course of four or five days. I don't know if there's been enough time since, since you completed the, the race, but I'm just, I'm so curious, like how you think this may impact you day to day now, like, you know, just in your personal life and your professional life, like what will be different now that you've gone through this? I mean, one of the things for me that going into this has been really important is the importance of team, right? Focus on team, focus on family, focus on culture, right? Culture can take a number of different things, whether it's at work, it's what you do at home, it's what you do with your family. And so for me, that's, that's all part of it. But the ability to understand that, you know, and I think one of the things we talked about in, in podcast 11 was planning, right? If you put together the right plan and you execute the plan, right, even if it's super hard, you can be successful. And, you know, with what you guys are doing around Better, Faster, Further and some of the customers that you are working with, I know we, we talked about a lot of different things that you're doing, Adam, with, uh, with Regan and with the team and with Louie, et cetera. And, you know, Louie had some huge accomplishments, right, when we were out there, right, which was, which was a year about. But as far as just as far as being able to put together a plan and execute the plan, right, for me, it's super important. And also being able to adapt, right, because one of the things that we did over the, that course of the race was we adapted um, to different situations, whether it was physical, mental, emotional, I mean, those things. And then, and also just, and I don't think I did this before, but not taking anything or any time for granted, right? One of the things that we talked about is how cancers affected our lives with a lot of individuals that are really close to us, you know, making sure that we're spending the time and, you know, doing things with our friends and families that are super important. I think, I think I mentioned to you, I've got five or six people that are close to me right now that are suffering some, some form of cancer in some stage. And so making sure that I'm there to support them, right. And, and just being close to them, making sure that I keep them as part of my life is, is important. And I know you feel the same way with Ella and Erica, right. As far as what you want to do and where you want to spend your time. And so if I do, if I do something like this again, it won't be three different events like we did this year. Um, even though I, I paced two of them, it was still a big time commitment. Yeah. But for me, it's just a, it's a reflection on life and it's just the art of the possible, right? It's pretty cool. Yeah. The art of the possible. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, man, congratulations. Uh, I feel very lucky to have gotten to, to meet you and Aaron a year ago and then to spend the time that we have together in, in these events. And I mean, events, experiences, life-changing, whatever you want to call them, you know, but to, to do the things and, and journey through these things together has been really special for me. So thanks, Jeff. Me, me, me as well, Adam. It's been, it's been really special. It's been an awesome experience. Um, like you said, I mean, it was a little over a year ago we met, which just seems hard to believe, yeah. but it's been, it's been a super fulfilling year. So everything um, that you've done for me, thank you very much. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, you, uh, congratulations, lots to be proud of. And, you know, if, if, if history is any indicator of the future, I think you'll, you'll, the lessons you learn and the insights you'll glean will continue to kind of unfold over the, the weeks and months to come. Uh, and so, you know, em, embrace all of those. And uh, it's been a total pleasure to 
get to chat with you and get to know you on the personal and professional side. But um, yeah, man, go, go embrace it all. Go kick some butt at orange. And um, we really, really look forward to uh, staying in touch with you and just super proud of the work that you did. And, and thanks for taking time out of your busy day. I know you got, you, you, you're, you're, you got a big boy job and are spinning a lot of plates and we appreciate you carving out an hour and a half of your time to, to debrief with us. Regan, thank you very much, Adam. Uh, thanks. And uh, I, I know we'll be talking, guys, but I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the Better, Faster, Further podcast. We're honored to have you here and to share these insights, stories, and best practices with you. 100% of our business comes from word of mouth. We focus on delivering their promise, building strong relationships with our clients, and then let the results speak for themselves. If you or someone in your network would benefit from speaking with us directly, please reach out. Our website is betterfasterfurther.com and we can be found on LinkedIn. Or you can email us directly at bff at betterfasterfurther.com. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We hope you join us on our next episode. And until then, stay positive. Keep working hard and we'll see you on the flip side.